forever. Dog. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the best show. Tonight, I am preparing with Julie Klausner to do our live double threat in Los Angeles. So I'm not going to be able to do a new best show tonight. But, but, in lieu of that, we're going to give you the very first episode of our Patreon-exclusive podcast, Rubenesque. Now, you might be saying, what's Rubenesque, Tom? Well, let me tell you what Rubenesque is. Rubenesque is a show that's kind of the spiritual sequel to the uh, So Far series that concluded a few months ago in which me and... Pat and Jason and Mike all went through each and every recording in the Crosby, Stills, Nash, and or Young catalog. Well, now we've moved on to Rick Rubin, all of his production work. We are analyzing it, scrutinizing it, reviewing it, and we put one episode up on the Patreon as an exclusive to the Patreon subscribers, which is patreon.com slash the best show now you got to realize that's the way you support the best show is to go to the patreon and just sign up and give us what you can you do a dollar a month that's nice you do five dollars a month or more and you get all this bonus content you get all the extra stuff including rubenesque which we're about to give you a taste of uh with the first episode the second episode's going to go up I believe next week we'll have another episode of Rubenesque up on the Patreon. That one will not be available anywhere else but on Patreon, patreon.com slash the best show. Now, Rick Rubin has a huge catalog starting in 1981. This first episode covers the first few years, uh, 81 to 85, going into his, uh, pioneering work with Def Jam Records and producing, executive producing, all sorts of acts. It's very fascinating. This guy was there at the beginning of hip-hop, and he is a real production pioneer, and it's been fun going through his stuff, and I think you're going to have fun listening to us discuss it. Uh, Rubenesque is where it all begins uh, this episode is where the journey starts, and you're going to hear it now as a little freebie teaser taster for what's over on, on the Patreon. And I also do want to say that you probably saw online an announcement that the best show officially has joined Forever Dog Network along with Office Hours, uh, hosted by uh, Tim Heidecker and DJ Doug Pound and uh, Vic Berger. So that's exciting. The dynamic pairing is now official. It's something I've known about for a while. I can, could not wait for you to hear about it. But now you know about it. Now it's public. And now it all begins. And I'm going to tell you this. What we're going to do with the Patreon uh, is going to be pretty exciting. There's a lot of stuff we're going to have a, uh, a once a month an exclusive best show that's going to be a version of the show we're calling the Four Horsemen edition of the best show, which was uh, it's going to be more or less 
a, a, a version of the show we did through pandemic where it was me and Mike and Pat and Jason and the four of us kind of tried to overcome technical uh, limitations as uh, as inflicted upon us via the pandemic and geographical uh, hurdles by me being in Los Angeles. And those shows were pretty fun. I really had a great time just goofing around with callers and those guys. And I want to keep that element of the best show alive and really keep that in the mix because I, I don't want that type of show to go away. And I feel like the Patreon's the best spot for us to do that. There's also going to be something called S and W Q and A, and that's me and John Worcester talking not in character just talking and answering questions and goofing around and having fun um it's kind of the way john and i do it and have always done it it's one of the best parts of my life honestly and maybe we'll get to show you all a little bit of what that is like and then there's ask tom and then there's rubenesque and then there's all these new shows that we're figuring out and they're all going to be on Patreon, patreon.com slash the best show. So don't miss out over the next couple weeks, months. It's going to be a buildup and a rollout, and you don't want to miss out on being a part of it. Tonight, I'm not here with you. I'm getting ready for a live show. I also uh, bought tickets to something else. Yeah, I promise I'm not uh, being a jerk, but. Look, help your help your guy Tom out, huh? Can Tom can Tom get a little bit of a breather? And then we're doing the live show, uh, double threat, me and Julie Klausner and Brett Bohm uh, tomorrow at the Lodge Room. So if you're in Los Angeles, you still haven't gotten tickets. There's low tickets. I uh, I don't want you to miss out. Go check that out. But in the meantime, let me welcome you to the debut episode of Romanesque. See you next week. Hello and welcome to Rubenesque, the only podcast to go through all of the works produced or executive produced by Frederick J. Rubin, otherwise known as Rick Rubin. I'm Jason Christopher Gore here alongside... Patrick Daniel Byrne. Patrick Michael Daniel. Andrew Liss. Very nice. And <laughs> Tom Sharpling. Tom Sharpling. TBA. TBA <laughs> on the middle name. Do you think we'll figure um, that out during Rubenesque? Oh, I've said it before. I've okay. said it before. Okay. It's out there. All right. Um, well, guys, here we are. How do you feel? <laughs> 17 episodes this is going to this take is us? This is going to be 17 episodes. We're doing a year Ugh. by year <laughs> look. Like a, very few. I thought it was going to be like 50 episodes. No, no. Well, I'm, <laughs> well, the nice thing is a lot of this has been kind of chunked together. So in this uh -huh. specific episode, we're starting at the beginning with 1981. We're going to 1985. Uh, this episode is mainly a lot of uh, singles. Not many full records. In fact, I think there's only one full record in this batch. Uh, that will, will or am I, no, well, I mean, there's an EP. There's two. There's two. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought we were supposed to listen. Did he produce the entire King of Rock album? 
He 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 worked on it. He, he mixed he the record. He mixed it. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. But it counts. It counts. I listened to the whole thing. It's part of his work. It's what yeah. he's I'm done. Going back. Yeah. You're not going back. Okay. Well, <laughs> no, guy, I, I said it was fun going back. Oh, I thought you said I'm not. I haven't going listened to back. that album in a long time. Yeah, I know. I know. There's a lot of this stuff that. I mean, just from the start, guys, how familiar are you personally with early to mid 80s hip hop? I'm very familiar. I, you you know, are. I, I was I was getting these records. Yeah. Really? OK. Yeah. Was, I mean, oh, that's you great. Know, yeah. Uh, it was sort of a, a new sound, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so, yeah, even the earlier stuff on. Uh, uh, what is it? Uh, you know, Grandmaster Flash and uh, the Sugar Hill. What, what what label were they on again? Uh, they were on Sugar Hill Records. Should, yeah, Sugar Hill Records. Okay, yeah. Are you are you have you guys been watching that Origins of Hip Hop series on A and E? I haven't. I, I need to. I saw you know. the Netflix one. Okay. Not the A and E. Some some good episodes. I saw the uh, the Grandmaster Flash one was really good. Tom, so the- yeah, I, I was buying those singles. Okay. With with hip hop, I mean, it really was sort of early on a, a singles. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not surprised that's what our first chunk looks like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, the albums were sort of came a little later. Um, but uh, yeah, it was a, a singles thing, and every single would get a lot of attention. And uh, yeah, no, I was I was listening to this stuff from from the early. I was, you know, I was in college actually. That that article you sent me uh jason mm-hmm. um i i've seen rick rubens i've seen i may have i may or may not have been in the same dorm as rick rubin uh when really? he was there yeah was- I, I i was in weinstein hall between 1980 and 1982 good lord and that article you sent me i think put him there at that time frame yeah. i that's incredible i had seen a, a, another article wow that put him there later mm-hmm. so i may or may not that's why i'm saying i'm, I'm not i've seen different dates well mm-hmm. let's look at his age and just figure out when he was it's 59 18 yeah. to okay well yeah i'm 62. Yeah, yeah he's 59 so and um that would yeah. that would that, that math would work out okay yeah i mean if that article is correct then yeah, I was there. That is insane, Mike. Yeah. I had that, you no know, idea. I was, I was so timid going to, you know, for, going from the suburbs to New York City. Mm-hmm. You know, I was just uh, keeping my head down. There was so much money on the line. You know, I wasn't really very social the two years I was there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was actually friendlier with people. I had a work-study job, and those were kind of, kind of my friends. But uh, I... You know, he he had a distinct look. I think I would have remembered him. I mean, Weinstein Hall is literally like a hotel. You know, there's several floors. I, I don't remember how many floors, maybe 10 or 12 floors. It's mm-hmm. a big building. Paint, paint um, the scene. Like, where where's the building for people who don't the know? The building's it's right off of uh, the corner. I guess it would be the northeast corner of Washington Square Park. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, it's up from the corner. It's not on the corner itself. Mm-hmm. It used to be a really good pizza shop. God knows what it is now. Mm-hmm. But um, what was it then, though? Do you remember? It was a pizza. It was a pizza. A really good pizza place right on the corner. You don't remember the name though. The park. 
No, I, I don't remember the name. I mean, I, I eventually became a fan of Ben's, which is yeah. on West Third Street. Mm-hmm. And I was literally eating at Ben's like every every day. <laughs> it was sick. It was a, it was wrong. Famous on an FX show. Uh huh. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I I I think Evan Funk Davies was also in the same building at roughly the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, that that was back when he was Disco Davies. Semi-famous. I do remember. Uh, do you guys know Dean Johnson? I don't. He, he, had, he was sort of an underground club scene person. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had a band called Dean and the Weenies. Um, he stood out because he was six foot six. So he he was a presence that I remembered from those days. How, mm-hmm. how tall were the Weenies? I read about him occasionally. What's that? How tall were the Weenies? <laughs> I don't know if they were all. No, I doubt they were all six foot six. I never right. saw the band. <laughs> and you know, Rick, Rick Rubin's up there. He's he's yeah. a, he's a he's a big man. So like knowing what he looked like from those Beastie Boy videos and stuff, did you did you do you remember seeing a guy like that in the elevators or anything? No, no, that's what I'm saying. You know, mm-hmm. if he was there, uh, I I don't remember seeing him. I mean, he had the big beard then, right? Not yet. No, Not if yet, you look no. at pictures of him, oh then... yeah, yeah, it's sort of just like a, he has a permanent. Uh, Five o'clock shadow. Kind of like that. Yeah, he didn't yeah. have the giant beard yet. That was uh-huh. a few years off. Um, well, let me just say, first of all, to set the table yeah. for this, Rick Rubin is a producer. For people who do, for people who might be uh, checking this out and oh, just yeah. are curious what we're doing, Rick Rubin is a, a producer who was a co-founder of Def Jam Records and ended up producing a lot of uh seminal hip hop in the early to mid 80s and then when the label turned into deaf he then deaf american yeah. uh, expanded the palette of things he was producing which became just all over the map and he has i think he has 8 grammys to his name and has been has his name on countless huge records over the last uh, 40 plus years. And with this show, we're kind of going to kind of explore the, the body of work of somebody who has covered all of this very diverse, disparate uh, music and entertainment and kind of just try to just figure out the, just maybe try to connect some of it or figure some of it out because it's all over the map. Some of the best stuff, some of the worst stuff has been on his watch. It's just a fascinating subject in that regard. Um, And I was wondering what, since we're at the beginning of this now, and we did, when we did, we did 17 episodes of so far where we went through Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young's entire discography one thing that I think would be interesting would be to ask everybody what their what their what they think about Rick Rubin at the beginning of this. No, I think that's yeah, that's a great idea. Like, wh- where where is everybody at in terms of who this is? Do you think he's a genius? Do you think he's uh, kind of like a a little bit of a con man or a, or a, a showboat <laughs> you know, like a showman? You know, kind of because uh, personally, I think he's both. I think he's when he's you don't just get associated with so many things and be 
talentless, obviously. Yeah. Like he, yeah, he's got his, he's got his fingers in so many pies over the last 40 something years. That's just not an accident that can happen a couple times. You could be next to a thing and still be not uh, particularly talented, but at some point that I, I believe that stuff catches up with you. So, but I do also think he's, he's got a little bit of the, uh, like a carny aspect to his deal because we all know who he is and he certainly makes sure everybody knows who he is mm-hmm. when he does these things. He's, he's a huge self promoter and, and self aggrandizer. That's, these are my impressions and yeah. I, maybe I'll be proven wrong, but that's where I'm at on him. So I'm interested in actually looking more closely and seeing how this actually record by record year by year kind of plays out in terms of it's like, wow, look at that. Like, look, there's a hot streaker, man. These records are all bad during this stretch. <laughs> just whatever it is. I just want to see yeah. where the, that's what I'm looking to uh, experience with this to see what I, what I actually think of the guy. Uh, one after looking at his stuff more closely. I'm with you right there. I, I think that Rick Rubin is an, is an enigma. I think that it's really hard to pin him down, uh, mainly because he's done such a wide variety of records throughout his entire career. There's really, you can't say that he's a rock guy. You can't say he's a rap guy. You can't say that he's a rap rock guy uh, because he's all over the place. I mean, he produced one of my all-time favorite rec- favorite records, which was uh, Wildflowers by Tom Petty, which we'll get to uh, in a few episodes. But my first experience with Rick Rubin, I don't, I don't think I really quite understood who he was until 1991 when Queen reissued all of their albums through Hollywood Records. And when they did this, they added some extra tracks to make it special for this re-release. And on the re-release of News of the World, there was a remix. It said, Remix Ruined by Rick Rubin. And he Mm -hmm. remixed uh, We Will Rock You. And I hated it. I thought it was the worst thing I had ever heard. And then, you know, through what, either Columbia House or BMG, I got a copy of uh, Blood Sugar Sex Magic, which I loved when it came out. And I still still do really like Mm -hmm. that album. And noticed that it was the same guy. And then I was like, okay, well, he, you know, he completely, you know, choked on that uh, Queen remix. But I really Mm -hmm. love this record. And then he would just start popping up more and more, especially with the Tom Petty stuff. So I respect the hell out of him. There's a lot of albums that he's done that I, that are not for me. Do I still respect the the production work that he did on those records? 100%. They're not for me. I'm mm-hmm. really not going to enjoy listening to them throughout this. And there's a ton of stuff on here I have never heard before, which excites me because with so far, I was very familiar with a good bulk of it with this mm-hmm. stuff. There's stuff in here I've never heard before. And that's kind of exciting to me. Will I like it? I might. Will I hate it? I might. <laughs> we'll find out. Now, now, AP Mike, Mike, Mike Lisk, Mike Andrew Lisk, <laughs> you came up with the impetus to do this as the follow-up to so far. You said, "What if we do?" We were searching for a catalog we could explore, and you, you were the one that said, "What about Rick Rubin?" 
What, yeah. what was what was the thought behind that, and what what would you be looking to get out of this? Well, the thought was I, I was being amused by his Twitter feed. You know, he he, he, put, <laughs> he, he puts his tweet. Yeah. You know, he frames them in this little. Uh, you know, like like you know, like these are words of wisdom mm-hmm. uh, that we can we can print out and we put on on the walls in our home. Mm-hmm. So so I, I was doing the same. I was I was having fun doing that, and you know when I suggested it, I had no idea how vast, uh, the project would be. Mm-hmm. Um, because yeah, I, I can't say I followed his career. I'm aware to me, the, the early hip hop days, which, you know, I give him lots of credit for that. I mean, he basically was a big part of hip hop going national. Like I said before, I mean, you know, you had singles, before that uh couple albums here and there but um you know run dmc the bc boys i mean those those ll cool j they all yeah they became national uh artists and he's you know he was right there um Mm -hmm. so give him lots of credit for that i mean i think i came in later with him where i uh like his stuff is the americana stuff of course the johnny cash albums um, so there's going to be vast swaths of this stuff I've never heard of, you know, uh, yeah. So I had yeah. no idea really when I just threw it out there, uh, while we were talking on the best show, mm-hmm. uh, I really didn't know what I was looking at. <laughs> yeah. He didn't know it what was... you were signing us up for, <laughs> but, here. but, but you, you jumped on it. So I'm like, Oh, yeah. okay, oh it's amazing. No, it's, yeah. it's an amazing, it's an amazing yeah. idea. And it's a really interesting thing to not, to not check out an artist, but to check out a producer who also is a label head and has has had so many uh he's had he's been involved in so many aspects of the music industry. So I think it's gonna be really, really interesting. And that's what made me spark to it when you suggested it. Mm-hmm. Pat 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 uh Pat John was it Johnson? Yeah, guess, guess, guess. <laughs> Pat, no, it was Pat uh, Christopher. That's me. I'm Christopher. Okay. Pat. Daniel. Daniel. Why'd you give it to him? I. That was Pat, my guess. That was my guess. Pat, Daniel, George, Byrne. Wow. Okay. That Now, Tom remembered the confirmation name, so that's. Yes. Now that's points. Wait, your confirmation name is George Byrne? Yeah. Wow. Funny. Yeah, um, and it is because now I'm PDGB, and you're yeah. <laughs> PD, that is please amazing. make that shirt. Please make that shirt. PDGB. PDGB. I, I tried. I tried to get the um, PDGB.com, and it was taken. Everything was mm-hmm. taken with my name. I thought if I gave out my email as me, right? PD, PDGB.com. It would be, <laughs> a, it would be, a be very, amazing. Very simple address. Yeah. Yeah. Oh no, my but god. My, but my uncle's name is also George. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. So what is your what is your uh what are your feelings going into this? Yeah, I I've I've actually uh I like Rick Rubin. I don't like, you know, have uh I don't have like a a, a history of his catalog like beginning to end. But I know more about Rick Rubin's work going in than I did about any of the CSNY stuff. 
Yeah, um, because with, with that, that was mostly new to you. Even the Neil Young stuff was was yeah. more or less new to you outside of uh, albums or or songs. Yes, yeah, so uh, here and there. That, the best part about that deep dive was that I had never done any dive on Neil Young, really, except mm-hmm. for what I heard on the radio. I didn't know Neil at all, so that was fun. This I know. Um, I'm a fan of 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 like. 80s and 90s hip hop it's like one of my favorite eras is is of the genre is the 80s so like I, I know a lot of this stuff um I love the movie Crush Groove and that whole like you know just like I know I know of the history to an extent and then I also like Mike said I liked you know I know I know that Tom isn't a fan but I I do like some of the Johnny Cash American recordings not all of it but I like I like a majority of it. I think yeah. I think it's cool. Oh, me from, too. Uh, 100%. From what, from what he was able to do in, in that point of his career and kind of, you know, give him another career. Yeah. Late in his life. But, um, yeah, so I, I you know, and I, and I know some of the metal records in between. So it's not like, it's not as for, nearly as foreign as, as things were when we were jumping into so far. So that's what uh, mm-hmm. okay. I'll say there. Yeah. It's a really interesting place that we're all, coming from yeah to to go uh explore this huge catalog yeah no it's really cool i'm excited i'm excited i was excited when when he uh when when mike suggested this because we quickly looked at all of the records involved and we're just like oh my god yeah this is going to be something this is going to Mm -hmm. be a journey yeah Hi, everybody. Tim Heidecker here. We have a brand new Office Hours that just came out of the oven. We've got legendary psych rocker Ty Siegel. And Doug is back from down under. G'day. G'day. And his mommy came with him. Mommy and Gary Lusenhop are here, too. Alicia let me know that she finished the White Album, has thoughts on that. So much more on this legendary episode of Office Hours. Find us on your podcast app of choice or watch us on YouTube at youtube.com slash office hours live. So who are the animals? Because I don't smell them. So guys, do we want to start it off? Well, I mean, we can't really start it off because the first record is Rick Rubin's 1981 punk band, The Pricks. And the thing about this album, guys, and you know this, we can't find it. It's nowhere. We should, we should put out to the listeners also right away, if someone has uh, access to a digital file or an analog file that they can digitize, we'll go back and listen to this one right Oh, 100%. Away. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. We will catch up on it and and be able to uh, work it into the into the discography we're, we're conquering here. Yeah. But this, uh, there are some, there is one prick song on YouTube, and Mike and I were talking about this before we started recording. I, it it sounds too new. It does. I don't think it's the pricks. I don't think it's Rick Rubin's pricks. So if you go okay. searching that way, I think I think you're going to get tricked. I think somebody will come up with it though. I, I, I so. we've we've got some pretty some pretty heavy duty collectors out there. So, but um, the next let us one, know if you've got it. Yeah, if you've got it, let us know. I suspect there's a reason why it's obscure, though. <laughs> oh, Mike, we'll find out, won't we? We'll find out. The next release uh, that Rick Rubin put out, and this is the first release on Def Jam Recordings, I believe. It would be the EP 
from the band, the self-titled EP from the band, Hose. And I'm going to play a little bit for everyone to hear uh, right here. I'm going to start it, Mike, with your favorite cover of all time. Uh, it is their cover of Rick James' Super Freak. I can't hear it. Yeah, just, you know. Oh, it disappeared. You couldn't. Well, it is playing in the background, guys. And you, okay. You guys That's have fine. Heard, you guys have heard it. So, what were your yeah, yeah. what were your thoughts on the twelve inch EP from nineteen eighty three from Hose? I mean, one thing to keep in mind is that Rick Rubin was in Hose, right. Also, yeah. Which I didn't yeah. know until he was, just before we started recording. Yeah. No, he was playing guitar for Hose and. I mean, look, Hose put out a, this 12 inch, they put out a single. He didn't, the single was, um, I think the single's better than the 12 inch, but it's to me, it's just all, it's very derivative of flipper who, uh, a Bay area band who were doing a very similar version of this type of, of, uh, just aggressive, sludgy, um, punk. And I just think Flipper were just infinitely better than Hose. Hose are very derivative of Flipper. And I just don't think much of Hose at all. I think the single, again, the single's better than the, than the 12 inch. I, I know what they're going for, but I know what they're going for also because Flipper was going for it two years earlier when they started putting singles out in 1980. Right. It's just, it's, it's uh, to, to me, ultimately hose are somebody's college band, which is literally what they were Yeah. on the back of the hose seven inch. And Mike, you have, you actually went to school at the same time, Rick Rubin was at NYU. Is that correct? I believe so. I mean, according to that that recent article that Jason sent me, mm-hmm. I mean, I've seen, like I said, I've seen other articles with puts him there like a couple of years after I was out of there. So, uh, but it makes sense if that's his age. Yeah, He's yeah. Fifty nine. I'm sixty. You know, he was there at the same time. Makes sense. Yeah. yeah. And there's a, there's a, there's an address on the back of the hose seven inch. Send all mail to Def Jam Recordings, Five University Place, New York, okay. New York, one zero 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 three. Yeah, that's the address. That's they, insane. They, they couldn't even think to get a PO box back then. <laughs> like, like this is how good at business right. they were. Yeah, that they mm-hmm. couldn't even say, you know, we're gonna move out in three years or two years or whatever. Mm-hmm. Maybe yeah. we should get a like. Nobody suggested that it wasn't yeah. on the table. Also, an interesting uh, thing too, Mike. This twelve-inch EP was recorded in their dorm activity room on a boombox. So, did you ever hear a band recording something while you were there? You know, I, I, uh, it was relatively quiet for a dorm. Okay. You know, it, like like I said, it was more like a hotel than a typical uh, dorm, and and the rooms were very small. I mean, there's pictures I think I've seen 
from the dorm room. And yeah, it's, it's like a tiny little space, you know, and uh, one article I read, you know, said he basically turned it into a studio and it's going to be pretty tiny. I, we're talking like maybe 12 by 12. Mm-hmm. It, it, wow. it wasn't a big space. Um, so, uh, but no, I, I didn't, I mean, there'd be occasionally you'd hear loud, loud music and stuff, but, uh, I think I would have been aware if <laughs> there yeah. was a working studio if down the hall from me, yeah. yeah, you know, if the rec room, uh, was I mean, I can't believe yeah, that they recorded I, I don't, I don't even know where the rec room was. I mean, mm-hmm. I spent a lot of time, there was a cafeteria, uh, I think in the basement and there was a TV room where I spent a good chunk of my time watching the Tom Snyder show late at night. I had a, I had a bad roommate my first year, so I avoided my room. It was, it was weird, but, um, yeah, I, I don't think I ever brushed shoulders with him while he was there. This EP also has covers, uh, another cover of, uh, hot chocolates, you sexy thing. And yeah. also apparently, uh, Mike, Robert, uh, Chris Gow loved this EP and loved hoes. <laughs> So, uh, of course, Robert Christgau definitely appears uh, in this uh, episode of Rubenesque. The band (laughs) broke up in 1986. Uh, Rick Rubin tried to get this, uh, get Hosed um, signed over to Columbia Records when Def Jam made their deal uh, with Columbia Records, but Columbia passed on Hose. And I think, I believe he stepped away from the band more or less at that point. Yeah, at that point he he, uh, left the band. They did some final songs, uh, a song called Down by the River and a cover of Zeppelin's How Many More Times as part of Touch and Go Records, God's Favorite Dog Comp, Mm -hmm. where like bands like Happy Flowers and Big Black and uh, Butthole Surfers um, were on that comp. And their last performance together was at Irving Plaza in 1986 with the Butthole Surfers. So mm-hmm. there you go. Who opened? Who opened for who? Uh, they uh, butthole surfers probably <laughs> open for hose because uh, you know Robert Christgau put it together. I imagine. I'm I'm gonna say hose open for butthole surfers. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I we we listened to this in the car, which which seemed fit. Uh, Mindy pointed out. It, it was a fitting vibe for the recording because it felt like it was meant to be listened to loud and at high speeds. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't believe it was recorded on a, on a boombox. Uh, just one one like room recording kind of type thing, right? Like a yeah, it was just like a basic like, cassette boombox. When they just hit record and that was the album. Yeah, I can't believe that that they got an album's worth of takes out of a rec room before getting kicked out. Well, I doubt there were many takes, Pat. I think it was probably well, no, I, just but, from but, listening to it. I, I think mean, it was cuts. a straight run through. Yeah. But even that many cuts off of an album before getting kicked out. I mean, an album's worth of material before getting kicked out of a rec room is pretty much like, I'm impressed by that. Yeah. More mm-hmm. than anything on the recording. The album uh, is fif- 14 minutes though. Yeah. But like, but my, my general sensation is that I feel like I got hosed after listening to it. <laughs> oh, there it is. <laughs> starting it is. early. Starting early. There, there's your mutiny. Yes. There's the new mutiny. Guys, I just starting feel early. Like, I, guys, I just feel like I got hosed. Oh, no. Well, yeah. No, we heard. Oh, no, no. Oh. We got, we got you. Oh, okay. We got you. Okay. Yeah. I wasn't sure if I was muted. So, yeah. um, yeah, I don't, I didn't like this. I yeah. agree with Tom on the flipper thing. And, um, yeah, let's just mute. Let's just move on. It's fine. They're just a derivative. <laughs> they're just a derivative 
downtown uh, noise punk band with people in their late teens and early 20s driving. Mm-hmm. They're not supposed to be the world's most original band, and they, they weren't. Um, no. my I think my high school punk band was better. I think no. the bass player may have been the most proficient uh, musician. Yeah. Which is why they went with the, the funk covers. And they almost mm-hmm. get into a groove. He seems a to be, times. you know, the most uh, talented as far mm-hmm. as uh, musicians go. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I heard the the Flipper connection. I was never a Flipper fan. I I tried with Flipper, you know, I really did, but uh, I just couldn't get it. Um, yeah, so. I, but, uh, yeah, I, I I understand that, but it's just like I think there's just a source of one is one one is inspired, mm-hmm. and the other one is a little. Uh, kind of little more yeah. derivative yeah right. yeah no i hear that well yeah. guys let's uh let's go ahead and move on well, where are you at on hose jason you oh say. oh i think it's absolute garbage okay all right <laughs> um i feel like i've been hosed uh-huh. Uh, no, I, it's it's just that's a good one. That's a good thank one, Jason. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I wrote it down after you. Said good. Good. Yeah. No, it's it's messy. It's nasty. Um, I'm glad he gave it up. I'm glad Columbia said no, uh, because I think the good stuff came after this. Um, Maybe we can get not that person on who passed on this. The person at Columbia Records that said no to Hose. Yeah. Maybe we can. Mm-hmm. But I but it, it's, start, it starts getting interesting for me once we get through hose and when, and once we get into this uh, into this next track. Yeah, I'm. You know, we're, we're recording this a week, uh, a few days after the best show did uh, worst cover songs of all time. Yeah, mm-hmm. and this album is what is the worst cover album of all time, and no one brought up hose. <laughs> oh no, Mike I did. Brought, Mike I brought, brought it up. up. Oh, you did. I think okay. you had gone oh. to bed though. I think you went to bed by then. <laughs> Mm, somebody remember let me click the old best show off uh, and then uh, went to uh, put their head on the pillow i just listening i just feel like i got hosed i you, you know what That's i think you did one. i think you did I like write that. that down write that one down i'm gonna write it down now but, what's next on the list here because hose we clearly have agreed no goes on the hose. No goes on hose. Uh, but I am uh, going to move on. Let me know if you Four guys... knows for hose. Four <laughs> knows for hose. From the Reuben dudes. <laughs> Ricky's boys. Um, I think we're the Reuben dudes. Are we the Reuben dudes? <laughs> okay. Reuben dudes. Reuben dudes. It's all, but it's all one word and, and dude is spelled D O O D S. Yes. Yeah. We're the Reuben dudes. <laughs> Yeah, okay. like okay. Rubenos. It's all yeah. we're the Rube. Yeah, so we are the Ruben dudes. Well, let me know if you guys can hear this because we're having some issues with this, but you should be able to hear this. Do you hear it? Uh-huh. The beginning and then it stops. Wonderful. We're glad it's working for us, but you guys know the song, and the listener will be able to hear this. It's Tila Rock and DJ Jazzy J. It's yours. Of course, uh, Rick Rubin made this beat in the dorm where he lived with uh, Mike Lisk. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the cool thing about It's Yours is, um, well, according to this article, it's the first thing that ever had the Def Jam logo on it. Um, mm. Not sure with the, the hose 
that we saw does have a Def Jam logo on it, but uh, this was released in 1984. It has been sampled over 300 times, uh, famously used in Nas's uh, World Is Yours. And um, yeah, he Rick made this beat when he was DJing for a group. And he was going by the name DJ Double R. Do you remember a DJ Double R at the uh, at at the, at the dorm, Mike? <laughs> no. Like, well, do you remember ever? Do you remember? Don't remember anything to, from the dorm? What? Do you remember trying to sleep and then you hear the music and you call? You went and called the TA and told them to stop with the yeah. thing. The host record might have had three more songs on it yeah. if you didn't call yeah. and complain. Yeah. Somebody came in and stopped. Got a double album. I think Evan Funk Davies actually had like a, uh, he was like the desk guy in the lobby. So he had a little more clout, I think, in that building. So we should uh, find out if he ever shut him down. Uh-huh. Well, we can ask Evan. Uh, yeah. But but this, uh, the, when he was DJing as DJ Double R and the group he was DJing for would later call themselves the Beastie Boys. And they can actually be heard in the chorus of It's Yours in the background. And they also, you can hear part of It's Yours on Paul Revere by the Beastie Boys. You can hear uh, that is one of the many songs that has taken a bite out of this track. Uh, the Beast, like they kind of, sa- they sample themselves. Yeah. What'd you guys think about this? Did you have this single when it came out, Mike? No, I didn't have this single, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, you have to give him credit. I mean, he, he's got the sound right out of the gate after Hose, after the Hose uh, debacle. He found this thing. He's got this beat. And yeah, I mean, it's like, it may not sound revolutionary now, but at the time it was like a very unique sound. And I, you know, it holds up for the most part. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's like, yeah, he's got it. He's off to the races. And this is a good one. Yeah, you know, uh, I think just about everything we're going to listen to was solid for me. Yeah. But uh, this was this was good, too. Tom, yeah. Tom, did you ever own this yeah. single? I did not have this single. My my Def Jam purchasing uh, would have started with uh, would have started with the She's On It single by uh, the BC Boys had. Uh, she's on it was uh the first thing i bought that had a def jam logo on it then it would have gotten some ll cool j and then would have gotten the biggie uh is uh uh licensed to ill um that's where my relationship with that label started um no this single this this song rules and this is just like and i will say mike is spot on with time it's easy to lose sight of of the power of this music maybe because the 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 flow from the from the MCs are a little kind of like that very easy to kind of make fun of because there's a slightly sing-songy quality to them and but this stuff back in the 80s this stuff felt the way to me when people talk about hearing uh little richard and jerry lee lewis and all of those original rock and roll records this is literally what that was because this stuff was sparse and was exciting the excitement is what maybe gets lost a little bit 
it was like thrilling. Hip hop was so thrilling at that point because nothing sounded like it. Yeah. And these records were the best of that lot to me. And hearing like, because LL Cool J, I, I knew that I knew I need a beat, which is the next one up. But before, I didn't know this at the time. Mm-hmm. But man, those things hit so hard and it was truly electric to hear stuff like this because this there's just that sparseness yeah. to it and, and it's, it's, it, it, it's like an immediacy yeah, yeah. and I, I just say everything we're listening pretty much in his first batch is fun party music yeah you know yeah. and that's what you know early rock and roll was you know it was just sort of it, it caught a, a whole generation uh and you know created their own sound so yeah i mean it was uh that was the new sound for people at that time, that generation. Let's go. Since we, since we mentioned it, let's go ahead and play a little of uh, I Need a Beat here, and we'll just keep talking about these singles and how they came out uh, for the ages. This is LL Cool J, I Need a Beat. And you can definitely hear Rick Rubin's style in this. Like, he had a very specific sound. That carried yep. throughout through all of his hip hop. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's so cool that it's um, it's so you know back to back the punk stuff and the hip hop, and that's really a testament to them being so close in genres, even if sonically they sound worlds apart. It's it's just like you know coming making something out of nothing is is kind of the the basis behind both of the genres and it's yeah it so it's cool and uh LL Cool J here it's just like it's a it's such a great introduction to him as his character him as a rapper in general you know he's he's name checking himself yeah. multiple times mm-hmm. including spelling it spelling out <laughs> ladies love cool J yeah uh and yeah. he's and he's doing it because it's his first record and it's important and it's it's mm-hmm. like he's writing his name on the wall and it's it's awesome. I mean, I miss this level of hip hop. Yeah, it's sad. It's sad that it's gone. He's bragging like you should already know LL Cool J. Exactly, and that's such an early hip hop thing, you know. And this was my first. I had never heard this song before. My introduction to LL Cool J was when you know MTV was just playing the video for Mama Said Knock You Out over and over and over, and I absolutely <laughs> loved it. Uh-huh. Uh, back when that came out. So I had never really heard uh, I Need a Beat, and it's and it's fantastic. I thought you were going to say your introduction to him was the movie Toys, the I Robin w- Williams movie. Let, let me backtrack. Let me backtrack. My introduction uh, was the movie Toys. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's and, when you got your... Yeah, I didn't even know he rapped. Yeah. Um, it's also interesting with, with this, and another thing that has changed climate wise is that now you are hard you could probably if you count on one hand the amount of straight up uh hip-hop groups there are crews yeah. that there are you could you you'd you'd have fingers left over to count the ones that are a current active 2022 concerns back then it was all Cruise. It was just, it was, everybody was, was, a. they were groups. And here's this guy who is this kid 
straight up high school kid is saying, no, I'm not a part of, I'm not a part of like, you know, funky four plus, you know, like what he's, I'm me. I'm an, I like, he's putting himself out there as a solo act, which is brazen right off the bat to say, I'm me. I'm not, it's not me and four other guys trading off verses. Like, I mean, because if you think about it, like Grandmaster Flash and Furious Five, it's like, yeah, he put himself out there. Grandmaster Flash is at the front of the thing, but he's sharing those records with yeah, these crew, yeah. other, yeah, with these other guys. Yeah, and it's just like to be the only one standing up there doing the thing mm-hmm. is a whole other energy, and it makes it. Ella Cool J is so underrated in terms of what he accomplished. He was. Because soon we get to I need love, and he adds like a, a, the the a, a like a a romantic soft quality to yeah. hip hop is right around the corner with this guy. This guy was a true pioneer, and just because he's a TV actor now and is as much a personality as anything else, and hasn't made a record probably in over ten years. Um, you cannot lose sight of this guy is a straight up architect of hip hop. And this is where it begins. And this, I need a beat is amazing. And it's just as foundational as anything. Have we said what LL Cool J stands for? I I think I said uh, that he spells out ladies, love, ladies, love cool James. And another cool thing, when this single came out, right after the single came out, he made his professional debut concert performance at Manhattan Center High School, where they pushed lunchroom tables together, and him and his DJ uh, cut creator started playing. After, uh, after it was over, girls were screaming and asking for autographs, and he said, this is what I want to do. Unbelievable. See, and he's just, it's not much different than Elvis. Yeah. 30 years later. And, um, and the commercial success of this single, I Need a Beat, and the next single, which we'll, we'll play a second of here in just a second, Beastie Boys uh, single, Rock Hard, that was the strength of these two singles that helped uh, Def Jam to a distribution deal with Columbia Records. Mm-hmm. So let's go ahead and hear a little bit of that track. It's uh, Beastie Boys, Rock Hard. <laughs> Nice uh, back and black riff in there. Mm-hmm. What where, where do you think the drums were from? Those definitely weren't back and black drums. They almost sound like they're from. Uh, I don't know. I recognize them. What do, what are those from? Do, do, do you guys recognize the drums? I think that the whole well, the whole thing must have been re-recorded, and I don't. I couldn't put my finger on if they were digital drums or or actual drums or that version in between where it's like someone's playing a drum set, but but it's digital. You know. Mm-hmm. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. The uh, single was actually uh, used without getting legal permission from ACDC. And uh, and uh, Malcolm Young, uh, Mike D actually got on the phone with Malcolm Young uh, to see if they would clear the sample, and ACDC would not get with the sample concept. They were like, nothing against you guys, but we just don't endorse sampling. 
And so Ad Rock then added, we told them that we don't endorse people playing guitars. Yeah, that's, it's so funny that at that, it's so funny because this is like for them to be, they were, they represented hip hop at that point, but the BC boys kind of are the group that embody that, that kind of encapsulates all of where Rick Rubin's career would go kind of like, Started downtown making noise with hoes. The Beastie Boys was the same thing. The Polywog Stew uh, EP is straight up hardcore. They were a yeah. hardcore group. And just like Rick Rubin, these white kids jumped into hip hop culture, which just like the downtown noise scene, New York had two just, just seismic things going on simultaneously hip hop and just the, the art scene and the noise scene. And they just started to cross pollinate and it was just this undeniable, this undeniable movement. And we're looking at the acts that are the kind of the access points of, of that between Rick Rubin and, and BC boys. And it's just, it's, it's such an exciting, uh, thing when when the when the scenes can kind of feed off each other's energy now because you, yeah. you have nine nine records the first hose single was was involved in nine nine records who put out like esg liquid liquid art art rock in new york that had real groove to it like esg is you talk about a foundational band um, that in that was a, a rock group ostensibly, but also had legit grooves that could be used for, you know, to, to rap over or to do whatever you want with mm-hmm. to, to just, you know, to, to, to use as a, uh, to, to just use as break beats. It's, um, it's a very exciting thing. And we are now right in that stretch 84, 85 yeah when it's really just uh just like it's all all one giant uh mashup i just realized that i didn't put another song on the list i'm going to play a little bit of it right here too because it's all part of the same thing and then i want to ask you guys a question uh this is another uh single the the last of the pre-licensed to ill singles from the beastie boys uh produced by rick rubin uh this was released on september 12th 1985 she's on it And the guitar riff is a slightly slower version of Cheap Trick's Stiff Competition. I don't know if you guys knew that. When these records came out, Rock Hard and uh, She's On It, I personally, I didn't really start, I didn't notice the Beastie Boys until uh, until License to Ill. Um, but, you know, for you and uh, Tom and Mike, um, what was it like? Did you do you guys remember hearing Rock Hard and She's On It when it came out? Or no, I I, I didn't have this. I didn't get the singles. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I, I licensed to Ill was uh, mm-hmm. that was the start that came for you out, too. Yeah, okay. I was I was, yeah. I was a huge fan. 
Yeah, oh yeah, no, like I said, uh, she's on it. I had this she's on it single before I had license to ill. Gotcha. And I was dr- just dying for license to ill to come out because it just because look on on MTV, she's on it video is just this insanely moronic, funny <laughs> video of these three these three dimwits yeah. who are just interested in this this uh, sexy lady and trying to get her attention and yeah. it's, look but you're missing that that the video opens on a very crucial you know comedy nerd letterman character mm-hmm. uh which like as as a, i think a security guard right like i i i watched I you're, it so you're you're mixing you might be mixing king of rock up oh okay with, you're, you're talking about Larry Bud Melvin. Larry Bud Melvin in in he, King of Rock is he's in the King of Rock. Yeah, incredible. They, but, but that's also that's also a part of this thing too. It's just like they were full on personalities, like LL Cool J, Beastie Boys, Run DMC. They were right. stars. Like they were full on stars, and they held the camera, and you. Or you were intrigued by them or you found them funny or you found them you, or you just had a crush on them or whatever it was, they were, they were stars. And um, yeah, she's on its first single I bought uh, uh, that would be a Def Jam record and it rules. And um, the video is almost like a David Lee Roth type video. Absolutely. No, they're, the Beastie Boys were going to do a movie after uh, License to Ill called The Beastie Boys Scared Stupid. And it was supposed to just be them in a haunted house or yeah. something. Like some moronic thing like that. And it it's just like, as weird as that sounds, it's like, that's what people did back then. It's just like, if you were famous, then you tried to make a movie at some or that's somebody right, wanted to right. put you in a movie. That's that like mid eighties, late eighties, just formula. It's just and like disorder. Beast, the, the fat boys had disorderly. Yeah. And oh God, I love that. It's just all those Elvis movies. And, and the Bee Gees did a movie called cucumber castle in the sixties. They just gave people movies like, <laughs> or Cheech and Chong had moved. Where oh, they're yeah. just like, Oh, these guys have funny albums. Let's give them a movie. It's just like because because the the biz was kind of like cross pollinated like that, and um, yeah. What it what I don't want to I don't want to steal too much of the 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 time here. No, but what, no. Where where are people at on on uh? Did you 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 Mike? You remembered this? You knew Licensed Ill first. Yeah, I mean that's yeah. I didn't know the singles. But you you know, listening to rock hard, it's like, yeah, they had their sound right out of the gate. You know, there was, there's, there's no fumbling around. You know, yeah, that's right. that's where I give Rick Rick Rubin all the credit because you know he wanted to merge hard rock and hip hop, mm-hmm. and you hear it in in that rock hard single, and that's the sound he was trying to get. I guess yeah, just like Sam Phillips was trying, he was going after a sound, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's very similar, and he 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 got it right away. There was no lots of experimenting, you know. Uh, he found his his uh, the artist he wanted to work with, mm-hmm. 
And uh, like you said, I mean, they're, they're great personalities. You know, the Beastie Boys to me was just, you know, humor is always a funny thing in music. You know, it's it's sort of like, you know, you, you sort of walk that line between being a novelty act, right? But but the Beastie Boys, you know, it, it, it was just all part of the package. Yeah, you know, yeah. It, it, it was a great sound, but also great humor, and and you know, again, fun party music. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's nice to listen to it again. It almost, you know, I'm listening to some of this early hip hop, and I, I'm I'm thinking, wow, this this music almost sounds quaint. You know, with with the uh, you know, Pat mentioned, you know, a lot of the self promotion. Yeah, but but you know, it, it's fun, but it's also like that was that was part of the early, you know, that sort of bragging, right. Uh, you know, fighting for your turf and, you know, you're, 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 uh, you're just going to grab it, you know? Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> you mm. know, it, it, that's kind of amusing. Um, but you know, the subject matter itself, is just sort of like kind of quaint, you know, it's, it's not, you know, there's not a lot of profanity, uh, you know, there's no criminal, uh, exploits, or anything like that going on. It's just fun party music. Yeah, uh, I mean, other people were more socially conscious, like with the message or white lines mm-hmm. yeah, and stuff right. like that. Yeah, that. Yeah, but, but but these are like fun records, which was just such a, a, a crucial part of all of this. Right. Yeah. yeah. Beastie Boys evolved so little over their career, just like as far as like lyrically how they like their their flow as rappers mm-hmm. evolved so little that anyone could hear this song knowing them a little bit and know that it's them. Like yeah. that's how distinctive they are. Yeah. But even if they sound like borderline prepubescent in these earlier singles, like it's like, it's like they sound so young, but that flow mm-hmm. is the exact same. Oh yeah. Like delivery and everything. Well, um, I, w- I would say that their rhymes changed though. I, I yes, like, the, yes, the, the yes, qual- but, like what, what they wanted to say you know, of started course, to change course. with Paul's boutique moving on. Yeah, like from, well, the message you know. did because they look. They were also uh, they were look. It's I I I just don't want to say it's of the time, but it's like they they were they were playing fast and loose with just being shocking and and offensive, yes. yeah, and stuff. And it's like, look, they were in their early twenties. Is that does that excuse everything? No, it does excuse everything. It explains a fair amount of stuff though. With these are dumb kids. And they did evolve and did they cop to stuff that's like, hey, we're not doing that anymore. That's 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 all you can ask from people is is the 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 uh, the interest and ability to grow and evolve is just you can't look. I, I personally feel like you can't throw out offensive stuff that's of its time you can contextualize it and say this is this it's not it's not going to fly now or whatever but it's just like they they but in terms of their 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 the way they work off of each other yeah absolutely they they are on they have that the way they trade off lines and then hit the final the final syllable together and all of that stuff is all here already. Yeah. And their love of rock is they did, they didn't deny it. They incorporated it. And, um, 
but they clearly were were wor- so worshipful of hip hop. They're doing this with reverence and and admiration for the form. They were not they were not just jumping on a thing as a goof or as a chance to turn a quick buck. It's like they they love this music and that comes through loud and clear. Yeah. That's, you know, I, I don't know if that is True. too, uh, and they love the groups like the earliest groups. I think that's why that flow kind of remained in honor of that first wave of hip hop, like, um, you know, rapping trading choruses and the stuff you were mm-hmm. saying. That, yeah. That LL was going against that grain and being a solo artist. Like they were honoring that till the end of their career. Yep. Yeah, and, and it's it's wild. But um, I had a question for Jason. So this this track, Rock Hard, was the first single, or the other one you played was the first predated it. Uh, Rock Hard came before uh, uh, the the second single that I played. Yeah, it's interesting because the I wanted to bring up the chorus on this and Rick's use of like it sounds like they're in a church. Like the mics are so far away for some reason. And I wonder what the choice was behind that on a production standpoint, because you hear it a little bit later also to a, to a lesser degree on run DMC's um, King of rock. Like it's right. like, it's like they, it's almost like they pushed back on it. Like it's like, we, we like what you're doing with it, but let's, let's do less of it. But BC boys rock hard is like, there's so much of that chorus yeah. that I'm like, mm-hmm. it's so like distinctive and, and it's like jarring almost, but um yeah and since you mentioned it uh here is uh run dmc king of rock just a little bit produced by russell simmons mixed by rick rubin which is why it's included uh rubin would produce their next record raising hell with russell simmons and that'll be in our next batch but yeah, it's a sound, man. You can he- listen to all of these and hear it, it's a very signature Rick Rubin sound on all of these tracks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, because that guitar was not, uh, that guitar was not just a mainstay of, of all hip hop at that point. And he added that, that he kind of, you know, was one of the people to make that connection with the lunk-headed rockness and how that could fit in terms of, because look, Toys in the Attic was one of the albums that a lot of DJs would seek out because it had these amazing, uh, these amazing breakbeats on it that they yeah. could build off of and Walk This Way was one of those staples of hip-hop uh of of hip hop DJing. Wait 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 wait. wait. Hold, hold on, hold Tom. Oh, Tom, are you saying that Joey Kramer is a founder of hip hop? I, I uh, in my own way, <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> I, I just like that Joey Kramer. Yeah. That just like those. That was just like that's why they did walk this way is because those uh, a lot of hip hop a lot of DJs were were using those records because they knew those beats were really recorded so tight and 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 sharp that they just they they worked in that context and that's just that's uh again to me that's the true beauty of this music is when you when you share it and it just keeps evolving and gets recontextualized and changes and and everything you know gets more exciting 
Um, if we're on to the album King of Rock, it's uh, look, there, this is a, gr- a great album. Except for a couple moments, I could I could always do without the the uh, the reggae one on it. To me, always drove roots rap reggae always <laughs> drove me nuts. And uh, some song lengths on this one veering into uh, uh, Jethro Tull length. Uh, <laughs> creeping five, there's a lot of five, five and, and six half, minute tracks, yeah. six, six and a half. Like, those are some long tracks on this thing. Uh-huh. They definitely didn't, they definitely did not. Uh, this album, they were not focused on lean and mean with, with some of this stuff. They were, they were squeezing everything out of these, out of these uh, tracks. There's a couple you could lose a minute from. But it's a, it's such a seminal album, yeah. And the the highs are so high on this. You talk too much. You're blind. I mean, it's just like these it's are funny. just like yeah. yeah. It's funny. It's funny you mentioned those songs because between uh, the tracks on this album and then uh, the LL Cool J uh, radio album, mm-hmm. uh, there's lots of songs about grievances. Mm-hmm. You know, you talk too much. You're blind. And then, uh, you know, LL's got a couple uh, about lying. What, what's you know, I'm, I'm blanking out here, but when we talk about it, I'll, I'll get mm-hmm. the songs. Sure. But um, which, you know, and, and also they're sort of like mini time capsules because they're, you know, making these references to things. And uh, on both albums, they also have, they, they bring up the, <laughs> the genes war between Calvin Klein jeans mm-hmm. and uh, Lee jeans, I guess. <laughs> Lee jeans, I guess, war. were, yeah. The, was yeah, that like I, the Cola I lived, Wars? I lived through the jeans war. Wait, who, and, what uh, side it of the It was a big war? deal at the time, fashion jeans versus, you know, your regular jeans. What did you wear? Well, yeah, I never made the leap. The people who went for the Calvin Kleins, well, generally women, you know, were were more into the fashion, okay. Uh, the fashion jeans, you know, designer jeans, but um, you know, guys got into it. You know, the guys who were, you know, dance club dudes. This is when I was going to. There was a dance club in uh, Asbury Park called Xanadu's, and uh, the guys who dressed up. We we never dressed up, me and my crowd, <laughs> but but the guys who dressed up would get the the nicer jeans, mm-hmm. and they would iron them. You know, nice. No, <laughs> no. What, what kind of what tint are we talking like light denim? We talking? No, no. You know, Calvin Klein's dark? generally were dark. Yeah. OK. The hippie days were over. Right. And it was different, different colors. You know, I was yeah. wearing sweatpants, guys. So I uh, I didn't know. <laughs> I was pretty strictly sweatpants until 93. No. Well, I so. uh, until 93. <laughs> I'm not lying. I, a, I am not I lying. A, oh, I didn't think you were. <laughs> <laughs> Whether you were lying or not oh. was not the issue right oh. now. Jason. That means every time oh. you were seeing Batman, you were in. Oh, I was in sweatpants. Yeah. yeah. Really blue ones, bright blue ones were my favorite. I, uh, I remember going to uh, Hunka Bunka and I had my tough skins on and <laughs> they would not let me in. What is Hunka yeah. Bunka? That was a nightclub in, in New Jersey. Yeah. 
There was a there were these radio commercials, Jason. There were yeah. radio commercials out cue your club your and club concert, and concert calendar. calendar and be like tonight at Honka Bunka, we've got <laughs> and it was just like they would list what it was going on at every club. Yeah. And Honka Bunka was was this New Jersey club that I was just like what is going on at Hunka Bunka? Yeah, me too. I never got uh, to go. Someday but, I got to get in there, Hunka Bunka. Yeah. And then, then, then I get old enough. I'm just like, I'm not going to Hunka Bunka. What am I going to uh-huh. do there? I'm going to Maxwell's to see a band uh-huh. play. Well, yeah. you got turned away, turned around at the door? No, I'm kidding. I was just oh, saying okay. I wore my. <laughs> It always um, intrigued me, but I never, I never went. I, yeah. I, mean, I think, I think by the time I was of club going age, it was probably long gone or close to it. But I, I was like, I would hear that those commercials, especially on Z100, for some reason. Absolutely, it was always on Z100. It was like, burner, so funny. Out cue your concert and club calendar. Oh my god, I guys, we did not have dance clubs in Southwest Virginia. I mean, there was one, and I think it was that like. Okay, no, I take well, that no, back. There were, you, look, there were a couple. You didn't have dance clubs because the preacher who ran the town <laughs> hated dancing. Oh, yes, and yes. He, he stopped dancing. <laughs> he shut down any dancing yeah. in your town in West Virginia. He would not. <laughs> Virginia. He, and then finally, there was a big, <laughs> then this fancy kid from the big city yeah. showed up. He just rolled right in. He brought dancing. Yeah. We could we could not believe the moves. It was I mean it was the devil's work, but I mean I I enjoyed sure. it. I enjoyed it. It made my sweatpants move. Yeah. Well, it that might be the worst sentence you've ever said. <laughs> in a dancing, yeah, in a dancing sort of way. Just said it made my right. sweatpants, sweatpants move. move. Five uh-huh. words. Those five <laughs> words. That's like that's your call me Ishmael. Yeah, it made my sweatpants move. <laughs> no, it, 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 the, the whole thing. Mike's right. Going back to what Mike started to say was like about jeans. It was about like there's so much. I remember thinking when I heard like hip hop felt like it was like this is for today, and they're making jokes and references that I know what these things are because they're about what's going on right now. Yeah. And I couldn't believe it. It was like, because <laughs> it, it's because yeah. every rock record, they, they weren't about what is going on right now, yeah. but these, these hip hop records were, and it was thrilling. It was so thrilling because it was like, it made it more than just music. It felt like it was, it was the culture. And then when the Beastie Boys took it to the to the degree mm-hmm. that they took it, I was like, my head was spinning because they were being funny about the things I thought were funny on top of it. So you're saying like, what, you're saying records like Afterburner by ZZ Top wasn't saying the things of that of that day. I, they for some reason those <laughs> records eluded me. And look, maybe it's because I was in New Jersey and these things were they were it was all New York, New Jersey TV and making right. references to you know Lloyd Lindsay Young, the Channel Nine weatherman that the Beastie Boys <laughs> made reference to him, like on like like when they go like. When like on Hello Brooklyn, that's Lloyd Lindsay Young. That's the weatherman on Channel Nine that they're 
Right, Mike? Yeah, yeah. Like, that's what they're referencing when they go, hello, Brooklyn. That's Lloyd. Yeah. A- am I wrong of it? I, no, I never, no, you're, I never you're right. Said that's it Lloyd Lindsay Young. That's Lloyd I, Lindsay Young used to say hello to different towns uh, when he did the weather on Channel 9, WOR. And we were all watching the same stupid reruns and the same thing. Yeah. And they dragged it into their music. Yeah. I yeah, mean, I, I wonder, I mean, you're, you're not from the Northeast per se, uh, Jason. So, no, I mean, no, you guys have a much different connection to this and it's very there, interesting there, to hear. There was, you know, yeah, it, it definitely would have a, a more, uh, Northeastern ring to it because right. yeah, at this time, hip hop is New York, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's that funny rhyme, right. In rock hard rock and roll rhythms are raunchy and raucous. We're from Manhattan. You're from Secaucus. It's amazing. <laughs> and you just felt yeah. like. Yeah. You, it's it just felt so like hilarious. In the weirdest way, the way Bruce Springsteen says sprung from cages on Highway 9, that was mm-hmm. the closest you ever got, I ever got to somebody singing about where I'm from. And then suddenly these, the like, BC boys run DMC. All this stuff was just about like, this is uh, we're, t- we're talking to you today. Yeah. Really wild. And um, yeah, I, d- I never really put words to how foundationally uh, huge that that was to me. Cause it com- it also just for me on a personal level, it combined comedy and music yeah. right there. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's what I was saying. It was like, it was like if you were into anything funny mm-hmm. for me, like be, I, I mean, like Jason, and I, Jason's still a little older than me, but we're a little closer in age. Like yeah. this, this, this is for me, like, even though the BC boys were at a different point in their career, when I was say in middle school era, like when anybody could get their hands on license to ill, they did. Mm-hmm. And it was like, Oh God. Yeah. And it was cause like, you're, you're like, 12 or 13 years old like these guys are singing about stuff it's funny but it's like one notch above like weird al like you're getting into cooler stuff and it was just right there like yeah. it was like you know you're watching saturday night live on the weekends mm-hmm. you know buying like mad magazine or some garbage cracked. And like yeah cracked and it, and you're letting you and you own a copy of license to oh god yeah, like, yeah. 100 and, and a weird al album like yeah. it was just like it was you, just hard to grow it up you owned you owned uh you probably owned uh license to ill and yeah. either dare to be stupid or uh uh even worse right mm-hmm. in that time that was me yeah. that was me listening to these records that was and there was something like being that age and like knowing who the Beastie Boys were and having the record, you, you, you kind of felt like you were doing something wrong. Like you were going to well, get yeah, caught yeah. listening to this. Well, it's yeah. for you. It's not for your parents. Right. It's clearly not for your parents. Not at all. Um, the uh, one thing to keep in mind also, which is a funny aside as, as we wrap up on King of Rock is that in the title track when they say there's three of us, but we're not the Beatles, that was not them saying like John Lennon is dead and there's only three Beatles left. 
they said after the fact they truly didn't know there were four Beatles because <laughs> they just were not. They didn't know the Beatles. They they kind of thought yeah. there were just three of them. Right. They could have said Cream. They could have said there's three of us, and but we're not ZZ Top or Cream. <laughs> yeah, or Three Dog Night. Right. Right. That is so funny. I never knew that. Yeah. That that's oh what my that God. like. Yeah, so that's a that's a funny little aside that I heard, and I assume has not been disproven. <laughs> well, still in ni- still in nineteen eighty five, guys, we've got a single from Jazzy J, Def Jam, and Cold Chillin' in the spot. I'm going to play a little of Def Jam right here. This is a seven minute song, so it goes in line with some of those uh, tall tracks you were talking about from King of Rock. And then we also have Cold Chillin'. So let me play a little bit of that. Dr. Jekyll in the house, doctor. Doctor, we go down. Let's go. Daddy Jay's in the place. Everybody look at it. Look at the left side. Y'all just clap your hand. Like I said, dig this, dig this. Clap, clap, clap. Come on, come on. Were you guys familiar with Jazzy Jay when this came out? Or this? These are the first time I've heard these tracks going through this. I was wondering if it was... Uh... If it was um, Jazzy Jeff from the Fresh Prince, but it's that it is came not. Later. It yeah, is not. Different came later. Jazzy J. Yeah, and Jazzy J was from New York, and Jazzy Jeff was from Philly. Right. It's wild that they got names so close to each other. This this track did beg the question, though. How does one do the Def Jam? What do you guys think? Drums. <laughs> it's like you're playing the drums. You're basically you're basically impersonating Joey Kramer from Aerosmith. Joey Kramer and then a guy who's air drumming. Yes. That's how you do, do the Def Jam. That's how you do the Def Jam. I don't know. I do not know. Tom, how do you do the Def Jam? Tom, did we lose Tom? Mike, are you still there? Yeah, I'm still here. Okay. Yeah, I wasn't familiar with these tracks, but um, I enjoyed them. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, it's it's uh, Def Records getting their sound down, you know? I mean, yeah. Uh, and, and these are two, two good tracks. Um. So, yeah, I could see, you know, these being like huge at the time, but yeah, I wasn't aware of them. And this is your first time listening to Pat, correct? For this track. Yeah. Like I, I very well could have heard it um, somewhere down the road. Like, I don't know if it was in uh, the movie Crush Groove or a documentary of, you know, showcasing this kind of music of the time. Like it could have been somewhere as like bed music, but I don't remember it. To me, it's like it's um, it's music for breakdance competitions. Of yes, the era. very like, much like so. Yeah, car- that cardboard cardboard would be out. Legs would be in the That clapping sound. That cap 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 yeah. cap cap cap. You you can someone sample that, please. Yeah, <laughs> you can see the yeah. legs in the air. Yeah. So let's see. Here. Did you uh, breakdance, uh, Pat? No, I could never breakdance. I could do the like. I could do a couple of the like quick fast leg motions from, from yeah like that's just sort like, of swinging yeah i would get on my i would get on my back and then just kind of swing it around but that was the uh that was the extent <laughs> of my uh but here's the thing guys if you're gonna break dance i highly yeah. recommend sweatpants they move very fast <laughs> sure yeah. they, they they are they're perfect mm-hmm. perfect for break dancing sure i think i might have to issue a rubenesque break dance challenge <laughs> knew that's what you were gonna say yeah that's not gonna happen that will that will yeah put me right into sciatica spin on their head by the end of Uh, mike (laughs) whoever can spin on their head by the end 
yeah. end of the uh, yeah. journey. Well, I want we'll to see you do the worm. I want to see Mike do the worm. <laughs> the worm, yeah. Yeah. I would always try to do that one where you spin around and then you end up on your side with your arm under your hand, uh, under posing. your head, the posing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And you just stop. Yeah. You stop with your arm yeah. folded. That's a good one. On your head. Very. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I know I missed the, the, I had to uh, jump off for one second. Yeah. We were, we played but, uh, Def Jam and cold chillin in the spot by Jazzy J. Yeah. How, were you familiar with these amazing. tracks? I was not, I was yeah. not familiar with either of these. It, these are amazing and they kind of cover a different aspect of, uh, of hip hop, which mm-hmm. is kind of just like taking advantage of like, not as not MC driven mm-hmm. and really just amazing and just as important. Yeah. And a real, uh, me being, me being unfamiliar with it, but it's just like, Holy moly, this is, this is just more, more of the same, just highest yeah. level, highest yeah. level hip hop. What about uh, Jimmy Spicer? Were, were you uh, familiar with Jimmy Spicer? I, I was not. This no. is it. Let's go ahead. This is the track. This is it. These are all kind of in the same thing. I don't think we were all super uh, familiar with these tracks, but this is Jimmy Spicer in 1985. The single was this is it and beat the clock. Here is a little taste of this is it. There's those drums. Very drum heavy on everything, and I love it. You almost wonder what what Aerosmith track that came from. Mm -hmm. And then here's a taste of Beat the Clock from the same single. Ruben made the vocals very low, but it was hard to hear the vocals on that specific recording mm-hmm. for Jimmy Spicer. But yeah, all this stuff, they're like, you know, these are DJ tracks and they're for other DJs to pick up and do stuff with. And and um, I don't know if they would have been doing like the big giant maxi singles at the time, or if that was starting to come into play around I don't know. here. Yeah, um, the 12 inches were coming out. These were coming out around then? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, but like, that makes you know, sense. A lot of it was for DJs, especially for one track to be like mostly instrumental, and and you get that, you know, they were they were kind of at the forefront of that, yeah, um, culture mm-hmm. at the time, Def Jam and doing that kind of, you know, this is for people to listen to, this is for DJs, so that other people are going to play our our stuff and and mix it into the, what they're doing, and you know, it's, yeah. It was part of that culture. It's yeah. great. Yeah, and while so while we're uh, listening to tracks and that we've never heard really from 1985, here's the here's Hollis Crew uh, with "It's the Beat." Heavy drums, a lot of clap sounds. A whistle from time to time. That's all pretty, uh, pretty much that Ruben sound in 1985. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah, al- it's almost like they're all in the studio at the exact same time, and they're just right. going in the booth and then out, and then here come Hollis Crew in the booth and then out, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, it's really great. I I've loved listening to all of this. And just so it's a Hollis Crew, uh, if people people uh, might get confused because. 
Run DMC were were kind of referred to as the, they were from Hollis, Queens, yep. and would you know Hollis crew was thrown around in in conjunction with them, but they were not. This is not Run DMC under right. a different name, um, but this is also just another great record, and uh, it's it's so interesting because going all the way through this and with the next the next one we're going to listen to the the uh, the final track of this is is uh, LL Cool J's debut album. Uh, radio it's like if rick rubin never did anything after this he'd be just this legendary yeah yes hip-hop yes. producer oh god yes it would be like bob bob dylan motorcycle accident right yeah you we, <laughs> we would all just everybody would just if he didn't stink it up with the weezer records and and uh, okay okay and okay. uh red hot chili peppers okay uh, okay if you didn't clog the the audio toilet with with the, <laughs> with those travesties, oh my god, he would just be a legend. I mean, a legend in a for people with good taste. Oh, okay, okay, we're gonna get into this. We are not gonna get a, into not this. Not just a populist, not just a po- not just a guy who managed to get his name on some big <laughs> records that are terrible. He okay. would literally be considered. Like you'd, I'd put you'd put him next to the, uh, like to the bomb squad, in terms of their track record with the Public Enemy records, right, right, and like that level of production, yeah, yeah, he'd be right there, and you would never, because look, it's like, uh, bomb squad, like William Sadler, right, is the like the, he, um, it's like, they didn't, um. They didn't go. They they didn't go make uh, records with you, you know. They they weren't doing uh, like they didn't go make a record with Sarah, Seven Mary Three after this and like ruin <laughs> ruin their <laughs> track record. Like right, just, right. They just they just did the good stuff. But there's still. So, I mean, some people think some people Tom think that a Seven Mary Three album might be good stuff. It's it's a difference in taste. Yeah, and also I made a mistake. I didn't mean I meant I meant Hank Shockley. I didn't mean William Sadler. Right, it's Eric Sadler. But like he's in there in the bomb squad. This is very interesting to hear this in episode one because I feel like we're going to get into it because uh, I really do love Blood Sugar Sex Magic. Uh, I do love some of these records okay. that you guys are. Or, or I I do like what uh, he did on uh, Weezer's Make Believe and Red Album. I know you like the song Pork and Beans. And Pork and, and Beans is my favorite song. My wife and I, you know, it was our wedding dance. God bless you. In Beverly Hills. God, God bless you. I mean, it doesn't get better than that. No, I mean, there are some decent no. songs on that record outside of the one. And we're, we'll get into sure. it. No, we'll look, get into and all, it. I'm say, all I'm saying is just that the guy kind of earned his stripes yeah. out of the box in the first few years. And didn't need to do anything else to be considered some brand of legend. Yeah. And in the next episode, he even starts to branch out and change things because in the next episode, you know, we've got Slayer records. We've got the cult, you know, it, it, mm-hmm. it, it does change in 86 and 87 to see where, you know, the path of uh, Rick Rubin starts to go. But we do have one final album in this episode and uh, we should go ahead and talk about it. It was released on November 18th, 1985. It is LL Cool J's 
Radio. And the first single released on October 6, 1985 is I Can't Live Without My Radio. My radio, believe me, I like it loud. I'm the man with the box that can rock the crowd. Walking down the street to the hardcore beat while my JVC vibrates the car. Second single off this album is You'll Rock. The momentum of this party can only increase. The design of this rhyme is a masterpiece. You'll I'll just say, guys, I think we're all going to agree this album fucking rules. It's yeah. great. It's the yeah. very sparse production. It's the same production we've heard on all of these singles, but I, I think it's kicked up to another level uh, on this record. The, this is this is a fantastic record all the way through. Well, I'm glad you said sparse production because I wanted to note that not only here, but um, you can start to hear it in Hollis Crew just before that, the single. Um, you know, if you only look back very shortly before where you're looking at the Beastie Boys first single and Run DMC's King of Rock, you have that giant echoey chorus thing that he's doing. Yeah. And suddenly something clicks around Hollis crew where it's like, oh, wait, less is more with hip hop. Like it's about the track that should be played clear as day on the radio. Like just get the get the MCs doing what they do get the sampling and the drum machines to where they should be and add a few things. And like, you know, this album radio, like, you know, it's amazing that it's almost all drum machine and very little sampling. Like it's yeah. mostly beat, beat and vocal, beat and vocal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was produced by Rick Rubin and Jazzy J. I recorded at the Chung King house of metal in New York. Yeah. It's wild to remember him this young. Yeah. Yeah, what did you guys, uh, Tom, uh, Mike, what did you think of radio? Yeah, I enjoyed it. I mean, I, I bought the record when it came out. Okay, great. And, uh, so, but I, yeah, I hadn't listened to it in a while, frankly. Mm-hmm. But uh, it was nice revisiting it. Uh, like I said, uh, I, I, it, it almost, like I said, it, it seems almost quaint by today's uh, standards. But uh, the grievance songs in this album that I alluded to earlier, is you can't dance, and that's a lie. You know where mm-hmm. you know they they would have something they want to complain about. You know mm-hmm. you talk too much, you know, and then yeah. and just do a riff on it. You know I found I was I was amused by that. You know and and uh, again there's you can hear about Calvin Klein jeans and Lee jeans on this album. Uh, but uh, yeah, now this, this is good stuff. And, and and Tom mentioned it before. You know he. He uh, he finishes it off with "I Want You," which you know he, he's going to cross over to the R and B market. You know, mm-hmm. uh, so uh, probably get some more airplay, right? Um, you know, because I think you know it was hard for this music to really to get a lot of radio play at the time, right? Am, am I wrong about that? No, or, there was there were definite look. This this only two years earlier than this, MTV still was not playing black artists. Right, right. They, it, it took it took a a people to force MTV's hand to even just to start playing Michael Jackson and Prince yeah. on MTV. They were just they look. It was it was kind of segregated the way radio was in terms yeah. of you had. You had pop radio to your top 40 radio, you had rock radio, and then you had, uh, you know, urban radio, which is kind of just like literally forcing it into uh, a very narrow box. And it's funny because the music was cross pollinating, but the industry wasn't right at that point. And it still isn't. It's still a 
it's still such a garbagey industry in so many ways where they're the last ones to think the audience can get it. And it's kind of embarrassing, but yeah, LL Cool J was not, he was not on. I mean, in terms of the real crossover with him, it was like going back to Cali and mama said, knock you out were the ones where he, where he finally went and was everywhere. Yes. I mean, they played Mama Said Knock You Out. I mean, I remember, like, you you would get that. and uh, Yeah, that was huge. They played it twice an hour. Twice an hour that Mm -hmm. summer. It also makes me think, too, what you're talking about, the the segregation on on MTV. It makes me think of that David Bowie interview that he did. I think it was in 83, where Mm -hmm. he called them out about not playing black artists on MTV. He was a part of that, that, uh, that drawing a hard line on them and saying like, well, this is, it's, this is bad for business. Right. And we're telling you it's bad for business. And it was, it's just, yeah. It, it like, I mean, I remember Ella Cool J doing, um, uh, from the next, that was I'm bad, uh, at the MTV movie awards. And that just felt like sl- MTV music awards. Yeah. And that felt like it was so exciting because he was just doing his thing and, and just, and it was just, it was hip hop. It wasn't like, you know, you had artists of color who were, who were kind of Michael Jackson's touching all the bases yet. Prince was, was doing the same, but LL Cool J was just unapologetically hip hop. Right. He was not trying to, he was not trying to do uh, a, a pop rock record that had hip hop elements and it still felt like that people didn't want the hip hop with the other stuff yet and it took a it took some time and he was one of the reasons he was one of the people that broke down the, that barrier also so um it's just a, his again i said it earlier i'll say it again his importance in all of this because he kept going and and became an actor and a personality it's very easy to diminish what his contributions, but they are, I I think they are just enormous. Yeah. Oh, I agree. Well, guys, we're at the end of the episode. I know in so far we would, uh, we would rank uh, best and worst. I, I mean, I, I, let's just say, what, what did you like the most out of this batch? Um, what resonated the most with you guys? It's kind of a, a bunch, but uh, did anyone catch that? Um, the line in, in LL's album where he refers to a GED as a general education in decency. <laughs> I did that, not. I did not. That that was something I really loved. Yeah. Might have been one of my favorite moments uh, mm-hmm. for all of it. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll say the radio album for me was tops. Yeah. I, I listened to it a couple times and uh, hey, it, it's just, it's great. First no, track, both Def Jam and Rick James, Rick, excuse me, Rick, <laughs> Rick uh, Rubin are name checked. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Mike, I'm going to guess you, you're going to say hose, 1983 hose. <laughs> I'm going to pass on hose. Okay. But uh, yeah, the uh, radio album and uh, King of Rock, I actually, I did listen to the full album again. Mm-hmm. And actually the, uh, I guess the expanded edition uh, had a uh, slow and low. Uh, yes, which later would be passed on to the Beastie Boys. So, you know, I guess certain songs were floating around, and then you know, almost like Motown. You know, it's like, oh, 
let's let's get the Beastie Boys to do this now, you know. Uh, so yeah, I I just enjoy listening to those re- albums after so long. I mean, I I have them and and I listen to them at, at the time, but uh, frankly, I haven't yeah gone back and listened to them recently. So that was fun, you know. I enjoyed that. Oh God, yeah. Tom, what about you? Yeah, I'm same same as everybody. I would say for me personally, um, radio album uh, on a, a personally, she's on it was the first thing I bought in any of this stuff. So that mm-hmm. to me is um, huge. And um, yeah, and then just the hose is just the weak. That's the the weak yeah. one in all this. And I don't I don't think anybody could is gonna think otherwise on this lineup. Um, I wasn't yeah. I wasn't as excited to listen to Hose. I didn't feel that immediate excitement that I got from all of these other tracks. Like, you know, it's yours and and well, it's you know, it's they suck. Yeah, it's because they suck. It is. It's, it's <laughs> very agree. simple. They suck. Hose are, are not very good. Yeah. And all of these other people are legends. Yeah, there was no movement in my sweatpants. Again, there you go. <laughs> you got it locked down. Well, I hope I, I hope <laughs> not. You got your catchphrase. You hope it's not locked down. No, I, I no. I hope there wasn't movement in his sweatpants. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, uh, guys, I said you're hoping it wasn't locked down. I was going to say. <laughs> I don't know where we're going. This is yeah. How are we going to do sixteen more? Oh of my these? god. Well, speaking of sixteen more, <laughs> let's talk. Let's do give a preview of episode two, 1986, 1987. Uh, for the year nineteen eighty six, we'll hear the albums Run DMC, Raising Hell, Slayer, Rain in Blood. Beastie Boys, License to Ill. We'll hear uh, Can You Feel It from Original Concept. The single The Word and Sardines from Junkyard Band. 1987, Rick Rubin executive produced Public Enemies' Yo Bum Rush the Show. We'll hear the Colts album Electric. Run DMC Christmas in Hollis, the legendary uh, Christmas song from Run DMC. Uh, we'll hear, listen to the Less Than Zero soundtrack. Huge. And then 1987, we'll wrap it up with LL Cool J's Jack the Ripper. Who knew that we would all be talking about in one episode, we'll be talking about Slayer, (laughs) Run DMC, and Roy Orbison. I know. And a poison cover of a Kiss song. Get ready, everybody. We're on for, uh, this is, Rubenesque is going to be some sort of ride. And the Ruben dudes got your back on this one. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. I don't Ruben, even, what were we oh, saying, Pat? I was going to say Ruben dudes out. We should, maybe we, we, we should say Ruben dudes out. And I just want to say uh, Rubenesque was created by Mike Lisk. And his, <laughs> any complaints? <laughs> Any comments or complaints can be forwarded. Am I the Rick Rubin of Ruben S? I think you are. Yeah, you, you are. Literally this are. is your fault. Hey, yeah. here's the thing. I, I'm just going to throw this out there. Uh-huh. Have you guys have seen any of his? He's got extensive interviews on YouTube. Uh, I think uh, uh, GQ maybe hired him to do some interviews mm-hmm. with other artists. Have you seen any of those? I haven't, but I will watch oh, them. Boy. I've been listening to his podcast, and it's great. It's I mean, uh-huh. if you've never listened oh, to Broke, a podcast, too? it's I called Broken that. Record, and there's a two-part uh, episode with Neil Young that is fantastic I listened to wow. this week. okay. And, guys, we're going to have a Neil Young, Rick Rubin album. That's probably going to be released in 2022. If not this year, it'll be released in 23. So uh, we're going to come full circle on all this. We're going to have to review it twice. We're, we're going to have to do it twice. <laughs> yeah. But Neil says it's probably one of the best things he's ever done. 
So when has he ever said that? Never. He has never said said that. that. He said toast was one of his best things ever. And then I hear it. I'm just like, "Hmm." all right. Okay. Best ever, huh? Have have you not heard your own albums? (laughs) He's forgotten them. In the midst of time, he's forgotten them. He should go listen to Harvest. (laughs) He doesn't go backwards. No, he doesn't. The Less Than Zero soundtrack starts. Do you guys know what the first song on the Less Than Zero soundtrack is? Hazy Shade of Winter? No, it is Rockin' Pneumonia and Boogie Woogie Flu performed by Aerosmith. There you go. (laughs) My God. I I have the record. I haven't listened to it in a while. Yeah, obviously. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. That's all coming up in Rubenesque episode two. Uh, make sure you are going to the Patreon, patreon.com slash the best show uh, to keep these types of shows going. Mm-hmm. And William, uh, and let me just say one thing. Yeah, William Sadler <laughs> is an actor. Yeah, Eric Sadler is yeah. in the bomb squad. This is going to haunt me. If I don't get this on record to show that I know. No, you know. Me putting my foot in my mouth. I just needed to get that on record. William, and say, was William Sadler the guy in Die Hard 2? I believe so. Yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> All right, guys. Any final thoughts? Keep rocking and rolling and rubinin' <laughs> then, uh, with us. Then we're going we're gonna to count down from three and give a good <laughs> Reuben dudes out. In okay, three, two, one. Reuben dudes out. The Best Show is produced in partnership with the Forever Dog Podcast Network. The show is hosted by Tom Sharpling and features John Worcester, Jason Gore, Pat Byrne, and Michael Lisk. The show is produced and written by Jason Gore, Pat Byrne, Michael Lisk, John Worcester, and Tom Sharpling. The Best Show is executive produced by Tom Sharpling, Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. The show is engineered and mastered by Andrew Gleason, website and technical support provided by Martine Sellis, and the show is recorded at Forever Dog Studios in Los Angeles. Support The Best Show on Patreon over at patreon.com slash thebestshow, and follow us on YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram over at Best Show for Life. That's Best Show number four, Life. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>